With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Metziah, Daf Gimel, page 3. We begin eight lines in at the end of the line. Let us say that our Mishnah is not like Rabbi Yaisi, the Ikra Yaisi, because if it would be like Rabbi Yaisi, Ha'amar, he says as follows. And Rashi explains that the case is talking about where we have two different people, we'll call them Reuven and Shimon. One of them gave $100 to a third party to watch, and one of them gave $200 to the third party to watch. Now, Reuven and Shimon are both coming to get their money back, and they're both claiming that they were the one who gave the $200. So the Tanakamahol, then in such a case, what do we do? We give them each $100, which for sure, each of them for sure gave at least $100. And then as far as the last $100, which is in question, we don't know to whom it belongs. So that money gets placed in escrow until Elijah the prophet comes and he clarifies to whom it belongs. However, Yesi says as follows, If we do such a thing, we give them each back $100, so then the trickster is not losing out anything. He's getting his $100 back that he originally gave. And he hasn't lost anything by his claim that he's supposed to get the $200. So Yesi says, that instead of doing what the Tanakhama says, what we actually do is we place it all aside into escrow until Elijah comes and clarifies this whole entire case. So we see that Rabbi Yossi holds that when there's a doubt, nobody gets any money. However, in our mission, what we're saying is that when there's a doubt, so they swear and they split it. So that's not like Rabbi Yossi. The Gemara says, Elamai Rabbonin. So what are you going to say? It's actually the sages. What do the sages say? Kevin Amri Rabbonin, since they say, that only in regards to the money that we know for sure belonged to each of them. One of them for sure gave $100, the other one for sure gave $200. So we know for sure that each one of them gave at least $100. So they get that money back. But the money that's in doubt, so they say also that that money goes into escrow until Elijah comes. So our case is also like that extra money that's in doubt, and we don't know to whom it belongs. And nevertheless, the sages say over there that you place the money in escrow. Over here, our mission is saying it doesn't seem to be like the Rabbanon. Our mission is saying that they split it up as long as they swear. So Gemara says, no. Hi, my. What's this? We could actually say that it works out according to the sages. Because we could say like this over there, that in regards to the money that's in question, it for sure only belongs to one of them. So therefore, that's why the sages say that you place the money in escrow, so that it doesn't get into the hands of somebody who doesn't rightfully belong to. But in our case, the over here, it's not for sure that it belongs to only one of them. It's possible that they both picked it up at the same time, and therefore they both own it. So over here, the sages would say that they can split it up with a swear, since theoretically it's possible that they both picked it up at the same time, and it is indeed true that they they both own half. Eliya, Mr. Biyaisihi, but if you want to say that it's Rabbi Yaisi, our Mishnah, Hashna. Now, in that case, we find that in regards to the money that we know for sure belongs to each of them, which is the original hundred dollars that at least each one of them gave, Amar Biyaisi, what does he say in regards to that money? The money that we know for sure is there. So he says that you put it off into escrow. Over here in this case, where we're not sure about the money, like Kostrakane, certainly he would say that we wouldn't be able to split it with a swear. He would certainly say that you place the money into escrow. So the Gemara says, Afidu Rabbi You could even say that it works out according to Rabbi Yaisi, as follows. Hasam vada ikaramai. Over there, Kabi Rabbi Yaisi, the reason that he says that you place the money into escrow is because for sure there's somebody who's a trickster, who's a liar, who's a cheat. So therefore we place the money off so that that person doesn't get the money that doesn't belong to him. But over here, who even says that there's anyone who's cheating or lying? Again, we could say that they both picked it up together. And therefore, even according to Rabbi Yaisi, it could be in this case they would split it with a swear.
Inami, not the possibility, a way to explain how Rabbi Yossi would fit in over here. Hasam Kanesle Rabbi Yossi the Ramai. That over there, Rabbi Yossi says that no one's going to get any money. We're going to place it all into escrow. That's a fine on the person who's trying to create this trick in order to push him so that he'll admit, because now he's starting to feel it in his pocket. But in our case, in our Mishnah, where they're both finding an object which was a lost object, might say this like the lady. If we would place it in escrow, so it wouldn't force the person to admit, because he's not losing anything. He never had anything to begin with. It's not, he doesn't feel a pressure on his pocket. So therefore, could, could be Rabbi Yaisi would agree in our case, that in fact, they would split it without a swear, even though over there he holds you place it in escrow. Now the Gemara says, Tenach we have to remember, in our Mishnah, there are two different cases, like we mentioned previously. And that is, we have a case where two people found a lost object, they're both claiming it's theirs. We also have a second case where two people are claiming that they bought the same item. And as Rashi, Rashi mentions here, as we mentioned previously, so both of them gave money to the seller. The seller just doesn't remember to whom he actually sold it. Now the Gemara says, Tainach Metziah. That works out if we're talking about a case where you have two people who found an object. But we said that our Mishnah is not only talking about two people who found an object, but you also have two people who are claiming that they bought the same object. So if that's the case, and as Rashi mentions, as we said earlier, so they both gave money to the seller. So if we place this thing in escrow, so it will force the hand of the person who's lying to admit that he's lying. So the second answer doesn't work out. says it's clear like we originally answered, which was the first understanding of how our Mishnah could work out like Rabbi Yaisi. And that is, that since over there it's for sure that somebody's lying, that's why over there Rabbi Yaisi said, in regards to where they're both claiming that the $200 was the amount that they had placed in the third party. So over there, Rabbi Yaisi says that we're going to place the money in escrow because we know for sure someone's lying and then we're going to place a fine upon that person. But in our case, we don't know for sure that someone is lying. And even in the case of Mecca Chumemka, where they're both saying that they bought it, it could be that they did both buy it together. So it could be that in our case, Rabbi Yaisi would admit that you don't take it and put the money in escrow because there's nobody to find since it's not for sure that someone is lying. Now the Gemara says, Whether according to the sages or according to Rabbi Yaisi, so they both say that when there's a doubt about certain monies, we place the monies in escrow if we know for sure someone is lying. So, we have another case, which we mentioned in the previous daf, which was where you have somebody, we'll call him Ruvain. Ruvain hired a worker. Now he hasn't yet paid the worker the money that he owes him. And Ruvain goes to a storekeeper and says to the storekeeper, please give goods to this man who worked for me. Now, both the storekeeper who was supposed to give the goods and the worker, they both come at the same time and say to Ruvain, the homeowner, you owe me money. So the worker is saying, you owe me money because I didn't get any goods. The storekeeper is saying, you owe me money because I gave the goods to this person and you haven't paid me yet. So both of those statements cannot be true. Nevertheless, what does it say over there? The Katani, it says, it's follows. Both of them swear and they take the money from the homeowner. Maishna, why is it different? That we don't say, take the money away from the Balabais, from the, from Ruvin, we called him. Place the money in escrow until Elijah comes. Someone's for sure lying. So we should for sure say in that case that you place the money in escrow. Yet we say that they both swear and they both get money from the Balabais. So we answer as follows. Amri, we say like this. Over there, Hainu Taimo, the reason is the Amar Lechenvani La Balabais. Because the storekeeper can say to the homeowner, I was doing your bidding, I was acting as your agent. I don't have to deal directly with this worker of yours. Even if he swears to me, I don't trust him to swear. You were the one who trusted him. You didn't tell me that I should specifically give over the goods in front of witnesses. Clearly, you trusted him. You you deal directly with him and get a swear out of him. 
V'sachar nami. And also the worker can say as follows. Amar le'labalabais. He can say to the person, the homeowner, Ano avdi avdi tagabach. Listen, I worked for you. My isli gavi chenvani. Why are you sending me to deal directly with this storekeeper? I don't have anything to do with him. Avakad meshtamali. Even if he swears to me. Lamanimali. I don't trust him. Hilkach. So therefore, since neither of them, neither the worker nor the storekeeper, have to deal directly with each other, and the balabais, the homeowner, trusted each of them, tarvai mishtabi, both of them swear to the balabais, to the homeowner, vishakli mi balabais, and they both take the money from the homeowner. And basically, what happens is we view each of these two cases as two separate cases. The two people never meet the storekeeper and the worker, and therefore each one of them only deals directly with the balabais. They get the money. And it's not placed in escrow until Elijah will come. Tani Rabbi Chia. Rabbi Chia has the following brisa. Manali biyadcha. Ruvain says to Shimon, You have a hundred dollars of mine. Vehala, Aimer Shimon responds, Ain lecha biyadi klum. I'm sorry, but I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have any money that's yours. And now the witnesses come and say that in fact, they know for a fact that Shimon has fifty dollars that belongs to Ruvain. So now Shimon has to give back the $50. And as far as the rest of the claim, Ruven claimed that he actually owes him $100, so he has to swear about the other $50. Because just like we find, if let's say somebody would admit to part of the money, Ruven accuses Shimon of owing him $100. Shimon responds and says, no, I only owe you 50 In such a case, when he admits to part of it, it's called modemimixus, admitting partially. A person who admits partially has to swear about the rest. So if we find in regards to somebody who's admitting himself to part of the claim of someone else, that he has to swear about the rest, so if he denies it, but witnesses come along and create an admission, so to speak, because they're saying that indeed he owes part of that claim, so certainly there's a logical derivation that's going to prove to us that in that case as well there'll be an obligation on the person who's denying to have to swear about the rest of the claim. Vitanatuna, Rabbi Chia says that the Mishnah, the Tana of the Mishnah is also proof to what I've just said. Shnaim Oichiz because it says you have two people that are holding on to a garment. Each one is saying that they have found it. In this case, came in the toughest since they're grabbing onto it, meaning each one is holding onto half of the garment. So we have something, a circumstance which is in front of us, which is as clear as witnesses saying to us that each person is is holding onto half, and the half that he's holding onto belongs to him. So Rashi explains. So we have one person claiming against the other person. This is completely mine, and the other person is responding and saying, "No, this is completely mine. There's a complete denial." Yet there's a, there's a as if to say there are witnesses in front of us. The, the circumstances bear witness to the fact that each one has half. So the person who's denying the claim of the other person, it's as if there are witnesses proving that the other person indeed does have half. And what does it say? That in such a case, they each have to swear. So thus we see that not only when a person admits it himself, but when there are witnesses, or when the circumstances themselves act as witnesses, so there's a necessity on the part of the person who's being claimed against to swear about the rest of the article that's not being, so to speak, admitted to. Now the Gemara says, We said previously that if a person admits, and we find that when he admits to part of it, he has to swear about the rest, that can be no greater than a case when you have two witnesses who are saying the same thing, that he only owes, or at least owes half, that he'll also have to swear. And that's actually a logical derivation. So the question is, why do we need this logical derivation? Why would we have thought anything else? So the Gemara says, You shouldn't say, That perhaps is only in a case that 
a person is admitting that there's an obligation on him to actually have to swear. As follows. Why would you think that as follows? Kid the rabbi, like rabbi says. Dama rabbi, rabbi says as follows. Why does the Torah say, that if a person admits the part of the claim against him, they have to swear about the rest? Chazaka, we have a legal precedent. That a person would never have the chutzpah, the audacity, to claim in front of the person who lent him money that I don't owe you anything. Really, he wants to deny completely. And the reason that he's not denying it completely is because a person doesn't have that audacity. So that's why he's only saying half of it. So therefore, we force him through a swear to admit that he owes the complete amount. We turn to the Daf Kimlam Mabiz, page 3b. So then, as far as why do we believe him if we know that he's lying about the money, how can we believe him with a swear? The truth is that he really wants to admit completely that he owes all of the money. And the reason that he hasn't completely admitted is he's just trying to get away from him for a little while. And he thinks to himself, when I get money, I'll pay the guy back. So the Torah says, place upon him a swear. So that he admits that he owes the complete amount. But in a case where we have witnesses who are testifying that part of the claim is indeed true, but he himself is not admitting it, so we can't say this entire stream of logic. So you might say in such a case that we wouldn't allow him to swear. So that's what the logical derivation comes to teach you, that no, in a case where we have witnesses who are indeed affirming the fact that part of the money is owed, so he swears about the rest of the money that he doesn't owe that money. What indeed is this logical derivation that's going to teach us this? If we find in regards to someone's mouth, meaning when someone admits, it does not create an obligation to pay, nevertheless it does create an obligation to swear, so witnesses who do have the ability to cause a person to have to pay money, certainly they'll have the ability to cause someone to have to swear. So the says, hold on a second, what do you mean when a person says something he can't create an obligation upon himself to have to pay based on his own admission? We have a concept that when a person admits to something, it's like a hundred witnesses. So if a person admits that he owes money, he has to pay. So what's, what's the understanding of this? So Kumar says, my moment. What is this money that we're talking about? That when a person admits to it, he doesn't have to pay? Kanas. It's talking about a fine. Because we have a concept, and we learn it out from verses, that if a person admits to something that would ordinarily require him to have to pay a fine, so since he admitted to it, he doesn't have an obligation to pay the fine. And now it goes like this. Umapiv, if we find in regards to a person's own admission, his own mouth, she'ein mechaivoy knas, that there's no obligation based on a person's own admission to pay a fine, nevertheless a person's mouth has the ability to cause him to have to swear, witnesses who do have the ability to cause him to have to pay a fine, certainly they'll have the ability to have to cause him to swear. So the says, hold on a second, how can you learn that out, that kalvachomer, that logical derivation? Malapiv, we find something which is a stringency in regards to the mouth. In regards to one's own mouth, we see it has the ability to create more hischaivisin, more obligations in regards to a korban, in regards to a sacrifice that a person admits that he's done something wrong, he has to bring the sacrifice. But we don't say that in regards to when it's a shame. If there's a case where they're saying that he's done something wrong, but he's denying that he's done anything wrong, so then there's no obligation upon him to bring a korban, to bring a sacrifice. So perhaps only in regards to a person's mouth, where he could admit himself to create an obligation to bring a korban, a sacrifice, we see that he already has the power to create more obligations upon himself. But it could be witnesses do not have the ability to create an obligation upon him to cause him to swear.
So the Gemara says, Holy Kasha, that's actually not a good question. Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Chia, who is the one who said this whole entire Brisa, who says that indeed there is a logical derivation, Rabbi Meir Svirla, he holds like Rabbi Meir, the Amar Eidem Achayven, I said, Korban Mikavachamer. He holds that in fact witnesses do have the ability to cause him to have to bring a Korban, to bring a sacrifice, even if the person himself is denying it, and it's actually a logical derivation. The Tanah we learn the following Mishnah. Amar Lushnaim, if that's the two people told him, Achalta Chalev, that you ate something which was not kosher. Vuhumer Loyachalti, he says, No, I did not. Rabbi Meir Machayev. So Rabbi Meir says that there is an obligation upon the person to bring a sacrifice. And the sages say that there's no obligation to bring such a sacrifice. Amar Rabbi Meir, so Rabbi Meir says, if we find that two witnesses have the ability to bring a person to be killed, which is much more stringent, certainly two witnesses will have the ability to bring to, to bring a sacrifice, which is much more lenient. So the sages responded and said, Let's say the person wants to admit that he did this sin, but he did it intentionally. So then there would be no obligation for the person to bring the sacrifice. Because basically the way it works is like this. When a person wants to bring a sacrifice for a sin that he's done, so the only time that he can bring a sacrifice to atone for that sin is only if he's done that sin unintentionally. As soon as he's done it intentionally, he can no longer bring a sacrifice because there's a much more stringent punishment that comes upon him. So now, if two witnesses came and said to him, you have to bring a sacrifice because you did such and such a sin, so if he responds and says, indeed it's true, I did that sin, but I don't have to bring any sacrifice because I actually did the sin intentionally. So he would be believed. So since theoretically he could get out of having to bring a sacrifice by saying such a claim. So even when he says a different claim to get out of the sacrifice, which is by saying that he didn't do that sin, so he'll also be believed. Now the bottom line is that we see over here that Rabbi Meir holds that witnesses do have the ability to cause someone to have to bring a sacrifice. So therefore, according to Rabbi Chia, who said that we have a kavachomer, a logical derivation to prove to us that if in regards to admission with my mouth, I have an obligation to swear on the rest that I didn't admit to, so we said certainly it's true in regards to where you have two witnesses coming and telling you that you have an obligation to part of it. Certainly there's an obligation to swear there. So when we ask that a person's mouth is greater and has more of an ability to cause an obligation because a person's mouth can cause him to bring a sacrifice on his own, which is natural in regards to witnesses, so that was a mistaken premise. Because Rabbi Chia holds, like this Rabbi Meir, who says that in fact witnesses do have the ability to cause you that to bring a sacrifice. So Gemara asks, How can you learn anything out from a personal confession to a case of witnesses? We find that in regards to a case where let's say you have a person who's watching something for someone else. The person comes to claim his object, and then the person who has the object, who's watching it, says that it was stolen, it was taken. So, And then he swears to the fact that it was stolen. And then later on, the person who's watching the item admits to the fact that he swore falsely. So such a person, based on his own admission, he has to bring a korban asham, a special sacrifice for this case. He has to pay back the value value of the thing, plus he has to add on a fifth. So we see that a person has the ability to admit to that, create the obligation to bring a sacrifice in Asham, which we don't find in regards to witnesses. So we see there's a stringency in regards to admission. The Gemara says, hold on a second, Asham Hainu Karwan. On Asham, this, car- this sacrifice is the same thing as any other sacrifice. And Rabbi Chia, the one who learns out this logical derivation, so he holds, as we said, like Rabbi Meir, who says that two witnesses have the ability to cause someone to have an obligation to bring a sacrifice. So here too, he would say the same thing. So you can't say that that's the difference between a person's own confession and two witnesses. So the Gemara says that the question that we actually meant to ask was as follows, Only when a person admits does he have the ability to have an obligation to pay that extra fifth that we were speaking about. So again, we have this distinction between a person's admission and two witnesses. So the Gemara says, That's also another question. Because as we said, Rabbi Chia holds like Rabbi Meir, and just like he obligates a person to bring a sacrifice based on 
in the words of two witnesses because of that logical derivation that we said previously. So from the same logical derivation, we can obligate based on the words of two witnesses that a person should have to pay a fifth as well. How can you prove anything from a person's personal confession? A person's personal confession can never be contradicted, neither to what he's saying, nor to his person. Meaning, no one can contradict what he said, and also no one can contradict that he was there. Because since a person is admitting it himself, so therefore it can never be contradicted. Which is not true in regards to witnesses, they can be contradicted both to their words and both to their person. Meaning, witnesses can come along and contradict what they've said, or they can contradict the fact that they were there in that place at the time. So therefore, we cannot prove anything from the fact that we see in regards to a person's personal confession, it creates an obligation to swear about the thing that he hadn't confessed to. So we can't prove that in regards to two witnesses who are saying about a certain part of the claim of someone else that it's true, that it will also create an obligation to swear in regards to the rest of the claim. So the Gemara says, Actually, the place that we're going to learn this whole thing out from is going to be from a single witness that we find in regards to a single witness. So a single witness is not believed on his own to make a claim. However, what he is believed for is that if he claims that, let's say, Ruvain owes Shimon money, and Ruvain is saying, no, I don't know anything, I don't know what you're talking about. So because of that single witness so will make a shvul, will make Ruvain swear that he doesn't owe any money. So from the fact that we see that we can create a swear in regards to a single witness, so we'll be able to prove that it's also true in regards to two witnesses. In regards to a single witness, he doesn't create an obligation to pay, but there is an ability to cause someone to have to swear. In regards to two witnesses, where they do have the ability to cause someone to have to pay money, certainly they'll have the ability to cause someone to have to swear. Mar says, hold on a second. That's not a good limo. That's not a good way to learn it out either. How can you prove anything from a single witness? The person who's swearing, Ruvain, who the single witness is saying, owes money to Shimon. So Ruvain is swearing about exactly what the single witness says. But in regards to two witnesses, what are we saying that the person is going to have to swear about? He's not swearing about that which the witnesses are saying. He's swearing about that which the witnesses are not saying. Meaning, Shimon is coming along and saying, Ruvain owes me money. $100. Now, two witnesses come and say that no, Ruvain only owes $50 as far as we know. So we're saying that Ruvain has to swear about the other $50. The two witnesses didn't say anything about those $50, so how can you prove anything from the single witness? There, the swear is based on what he is saying, not based on what he's not saying. So Rapapis says as follows, The place that we can learn it out from is from the fact that we see that if there's a single witness who causes someone to have to swear about something, so we'll roll onto him other things to swear about as well. So we see, even by a single witness, that besides for the thing that the witness is accusing him of, of, there are also other things that can be caused. So here too, in regards to two witnesses, so they can cause him to have to swear about something that they're not talking about. So Gemara says, hold on a second. How can you prove anything from the swearing that we cause, we roll onto, because of a single witness? You have one swear being caused by another swear. Which is not the case in regards to witnesses. What they're saying is that there's an obligation of half the money. And we're saying that there's a swear in regards to the other half of the money. It didn't start off with a swear, so how can you prove anything from the case of a single witness causing one swear and then causing another swear? So our answer is So we can actually prove it from the case where somebody admits that we see that he's saying something about part of the money and he starts to swear about something else. It's 
parallel to the case of two witnesses. So now we're going to ask the question that we asked previously, Malapiv, how can you prove anything from a person's own confession? He can't be contradicted, like we said previously. So we can actually prove it from the fact that you have a single witness, and he can't be contradicted. And he nevertheless still has the ability to cause someone to, to swear. How can you prove anything from a single witness? Over there, the swear is going on that which he's testifying about. Which is not true in regards to the two witnesses. That the swear is going on that which they weren't talking about. So again, you can go in the circle, come back to the case where a person's admitting, and he's still swearing about the part that he's denying. The whole matter comes back to the beginning. Each one has a stringency that's not the same as the other. And this one is not like the other one. The similarity of the places that we're learning it out from. That through a claim and a denial, it comes, the case comes, and he swears. So therefore, I can bring also a case of two witnesses. That through a claim and a denial, they're coming. And the person has to swear. So the bottom line here is that if we want to know where we're learning it out from, that if two witnesses come and say that this person only owes, as far as we know, 50 out of the 100 that's being claimed, that the person has to swear, the person who's being claimed against has to swear in regards to the other 50, so it's learned out not just from a person to said mission, but also from a single witness.